For years, I just dreaded going to the dentist. But at Advanced Dentistry, I don't have to. First and foremost, they want you to feel comfortable when you walk in. Like, you'll feel it. Whereas in the past, I might have gone into the dentist and thinking, I might feel some pain at some point. But with IV sedation, it can be something that you don't dread. If you've been avoiding the dentist because of fear, worry, or just not wanting to be judged, you're not alone. Visit NoFearDentist.com to learn how IV sedation can change your life. Silence is golden, especially when it comes to brakes. That's why Napa Silent Guard are built to be one of the smoothest and most quiet brakes on the market. Made with fiber-reinforced shins that eliminate noise for the life of the pad. Rubber-coated hardware for a better fit and quality design that meets and exceeds OE performance. Silent Guard brakes deliver the stopping power drivers demand. Available now at Napa locations nationwide. What's a social media trend that you'd like to see fall by the wayside in 2024? And is there a social media trend you'd be interested in trying out in 2024? I think in 2024, I might try out medical misinformation. <laughs> I think that could be fun. <laughs> Just going to follow Alex Berenson the whole time. Listen, it appears to be incredibly lucrative. <laughs> I like that. I'd like to get a new car, maybe. I'm going to uh, start doing TikTok dances. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's gonna be I feel like that's an Just old trend at this point, Just saying actually. it like that. Just saying the, word, <laughs> the way I said I it. It's an old trend. Yeah. I take back everything I said about millennial biases. They're real and they're terrible. <laughs> Welcome to Offline. I'm John Favreau. I'm Max Fisher. Hey, Max. What a pleasure to be back with you. It's been a minute. I know. It has been a while. You were uh, you were in South America? I was uh, I, I down South America way. That's right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> at, a, at a conference talking about, uh, wouldn't you know, it's social media, the internet, which is a major concern in, in Brazil, especially because I imagine their internet is unfortunately just like ours, which they oh, absolutely they don't have a better one. And no, it's, it's the same one. Yeah, that's annoying. Well, this is our mailbag episode, our annual mailbag episode. Uh, very exciting. We got some fantastic questions. Really good questions. Uh, we got them from Twitter. We got them from Threads. We got them from Instagram. We got them from... Did we really get a Threads question? Uh, I know I asked on Threads. I don't know if any <laughs> ended up in here. And then never checked to see uh, if you got a... And most importantly, we got them from all of our friends of the pod on Discord, which are great. A lot of great questions there. Really thoughtful. Um, and I know you were talking about social media in uh, in Brazil. So we will start with this question from Friends of the Pod subscriber Christian K. It's for you. Christian says, the Friend of the Pod Discord book club read Chaos Machine wow. earlier this year. Thank you, guys. Obviously, there have been some changes in social media since the book was published. Understated. Uh, what is something that you would like to add or clarify about the book or places we should look for more information? So this was something I have been thinking about a lot the last week or two because... You know, like we were saying, I was like just talking about the book. So people were asking me all these questions about things that are happening now. And you're kind of really feeling that like year and a half since it came out. Mm. And of course, it's all TikTok. Is yeah. that like that's the really big thing because it was barely out, you know, two or three years ago, barely existed. And now is so overtaken our discourse. And it was a real like the more things change, the more they stay the same huh. kind of discussion because it is so different from the other platforms and so transformative. And we talked about that with like Israel Gaza discourse. It also operates on fundamentally the same principles and it's the same algorithmic bullshit kind of all over again. It does feel like it is um, Twitter, 
Facebook, everything just like on speed. It times a trillion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's very like similar. Everything, it's, it's those platforms, but just magnified in a, in a direction towards being more addictive. And the thing that really, I feel like I'm only beginning to wrap my head around and is something that I, I think we're probably going to be looking at over the next year, is there are so many younger people, and not just teens or people in their 20s, but people even just like slightly younger than us who really live on TikTok and get all of their information from it. And I think what that means for those people's worldview for how they think about things or how they relate to other people is something that we're kind of just beginning to understand, but it feels big. Yeah. Follow-up question from Christian. Uh, how did you get offline while writing <laughs> Chaos Machine? And then he says, it was an important but emotional read. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm sure it was an important but emotional write, too. So, yeah. yeah. I can't tell you how often people have come up to me and said, well, I loved your book. It was so upsetting. And it's like, I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry for like, ruining your... <laughs> I guess that's... I guess that was the point. It's Yeah. It's it's a nice to hear. No, I appreciate the compliment. Um, I mean, writing... I, you have also just written a book, so maybe you found the same thing. Mm. It's a terrible way to get offline because you're spending a trillion hours sitting at your laptop. But, like, it did also make me think so much about my relationship to social media, news, and the internet. And it's part of why I'm here. And part of why yeah, I'm that's crooked right. and, like, on podcasts is because... I was so, as we all were during the pandemic and 2020, like so much mainlining the news and so distressed by it and so falling down these rabbit holes. And I really found myself spending more and more time listening to podcasts, including yours, and really finding that even when the news was bad and dire and upsetting, it just felt like such a healthier way and yeah. such a just nicer way to consume information. And it made me think like, you know what? I'd like to make a change and be part of that. And write a book. Yeah. My, uh, thank you for saying that I just wrote a book. I, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> you, Look, I'm really excited about it. I think it turned out really well. Yeah. We got Lovitz there. Uh, Lovitz did it too. Tommy. I had a team. Yeah, I had a team, which right. was much, and there's illustrations, which makes it a lot it easier. Takes a, well, you didn't have like, a lot of illustrations in did yours. You, you know, it's it's like George Bush said, some of the, the, the best part about reading is there's nice illustrations. Right. I should have considered that. I should that have is, done some doodling. That is the best part of our book. Claire, also a friend of the pod, asks, staying with the social media topic, uh, we hear on the one hand that social media is causing all these issues with polarization, misinformation, attention. And then on the other that every type of new media has had some kind of panic around it. Do you think the reach and speed of social media makes it a unique case? Or will we stumble through for a few more years and then all figure out how to live with it? So, like, <laughs> I think we will figure out how to live with it. But that also means living with, I think we'll be living with the significant harm that it does to our brains, our relationships, and our society. Right. Yes, there was panic around TV. We still watch TV, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean TV hasn't had a negative effect on everything from, I think, childhood development to right. politics to right. journalism. Ezra Klein has a great answer about this that I love to steal, which is that, yes, we did have a big a big panic, a big moral panic about the emergence of TV and especially TV news in the 80s. And there was like that famous book, Amusing Ourselves to Death by great Neil book. Postman. Great yeah, book. great book. And like everybody's so worried about it. And people in Silicon Valley raise that now to be like, there's always a panic about, you know, new forms of media. But the thing is, is everything that was predicted in the panic about TV came true. Right. It 100% true. And like we're now just like our news is just like, you know, really salacious now. And there's like a lot of gossip in it and things get overhyped because they're going to do well on TV. Politics is 
is treated as a game. Right. There's people yelling yeah. on TV all the time about the news. Right. Yeah. It's like it, it hasn't been good. Yeah. TV right. TV is not the thing to hold up. <laughs> and I think what makes social media different too is that it gives the illusion of interaction mm. and connection when in fact those interactions are leaving us angrier and more isolated. And so I do think that like, at least with TV, you know, it's just a, you're watching. Right. But you think to yourself, oh, we're connected on social media, but you're the opposite of connected. I think that's a great point. And it's like social media isn't just displacing how we used to consume news and information. It's displacing our relationships and how we relate to other people. And that's not always bad. Like I can stay in touch with people on WhatsApp who I couldn't stay in touch with before. But it is like a big part of its transformative effect that, you know, will we learn to live with it? I think you're right that the harms are kind of here more or less to stay, although we're going to talk about like regulation and what's happening with that. Yeah. You know, will we get better at coping with it individually? I mean, I think you and I have. I think there are yeah. ways to like learn to have it be in your life. And it, like, yeah. Um, sort of. <laughs> right. That was me sort of. You know, that, we'll get to that question later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, but I mean, it's, you know, you've made steps, yeah. I've made steps. And I, I would like to think that a, a lot of people have been kind of thinking more holistically about how they relate to social media. I mean, it doesn't like fix the problem, yes. but does it just like your day to day life gets a little bit more bearable, even if you're still on Instagram and Twitter? Yeah, I do think in the short term, awareness that what social media is doing to us and how it changes our relationships and how it makes us feel is like, I don't think that's everything, but it's a big first step. Which is so ironic because one of the big knocks on social media forever has been that it displaces activism with like awareness. You remember like Coney 2012? It's just like, oh, if you're aware of who Joseph Coney is, that's like enough to stop war crimes in Uganda. <laughs> that there's like the one issue that you actually really can improve with awareness, yeah. I think, is social media. Social I think media. if you just know what it's doing to you, you understand the effect it has on you. I think it just makes it easier to live with. Yeah. It's about being intentional. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So Jared on Discord asks, how would you advise policymakers to sell tech company regulation to the American public? Republicans, hypocritically, tried out the nanny state and government overreach lines when we try to do this. And there should be a way to show simply how this is an extension of us agreeing on a set of rules for a virtual nation over a physical one. I like that Jared clarified that he thinks Republicans are bad. They are it's, hypocritical. We're, we're, it's, it's crooked media, Jared. It's, been it's okay. <laughs> You're good. They've been, they're not always on the level, <laughs> as we have come to see in these last years. I don't know. I think you got to hear both sides. <laughs> so uh, I, I kind of think that the American public has been sold on regulating tech companies. I kind of think that work is done. Like, yeah. like polls show overwhelming support for it. I think that Jared is right that the issue of like content moderation has been super polarized. And that's just like probably, that's probably just like a done deal at this point that like Republicans say, you know, total free speech on the platforms and the Democrats want to moderate harmful speech. Well, but it's also because content moderation, the phrase is really just like a substitute for like competing political philosophies yeah, and yeah, arguments, right? right? Like right. when we talk about content moderation, we're trying, we're talking about like, one side doesn't like right. the other side's content. Right, right. <laughs> now, I think you could make a lot of good arguments that uh, some of the things that the uh, from the left to the center don't like are, you know, uh, Nazis on the platform. Sure, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So maybe that's a special case. But a lot of this is just trying to... Uh, have political debates through the context of mm -hmm. content moderation. Right. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and it's just about like the proper 
bounds of political discourse that people are kind of grafting onto this. But I, I feel like regulation is actually not focusing too much on content moderation, which is great. Yeah. And it, like the FTC is like really setting them up and knocking them down lately. <laughs> like, did you see the the big Google antitrust case that they just lost yes. against Epic Games? Which uh, we should tell people a little bit about this because it was a good, it was a big one. Okay, so Epic Games, which makes Fortnite, mm-hmm. I believe. Um, was challenging Google's control of their basically their app store and also the fact that to use their app store, they require you to also use their payment system. Mm. And the ruling right. that came out from a federal court is that um, like every, like I think it was 11 antitrust counts and was guilty on every single one, that um, Google was illegally using its control of its app store to force people to use its uh, payment system and was also using the app store to force consumers who use the Google App Store to like do certain things that limited their options. And so it might be like opening up the Google App Store, which is not going to change social media, but is hopefully a harbinger of the many other FTC cases that are coming down on big tech companies, like finding some success. So I think that like Democrats don't have to convince the public. They have to convince the courts. Yes. And I think Right. There's a, obviously a legal avenue here. There's regulatory steps right. you can take. Right. I think the challenge is around legislation yeah, because legislation great. requires uh, two functioning political parties. And right now we only have one. Yeah. And <laughs> so I think that getting, you know, and there have been cases where there's, you know, bipartisan co-sponsors of sure. of, regu- of uh, certain legislation that would regulate the tech industry. But um, I think it's harder and harder to find it's getting narrower it seems like the one thing they will agree on is regulation relating to kids use of social media and the republicans get to it through like kind of a weird like soft QAnon, like the tech companies are all groomers Mm -hmm. angle but you know if they end up (laughs) whatever works yeah that's right (laughs) listen you build the coalition from the lawmakers you have yeah that's right right i do think there's some you know, unlikely coalitions around privacy issues as well. That's true. You get some yeah. more, some Republicans with libertarian streaks right. who are interested in privacy issues. Right. But I think, look, in terms of a message, you're right. I, I totally agree that we've sort of already sold it. But like, because I do, my political hack answer on the message is like, you know, you make sure that billionaire tech oligarchs are accountable to They're the public. They're the ones on the other side <laughs> of it, right. And, you know, we want to protect privacy, kids, democracy, mm-hmm. right? That Small businesses, startups, right? On some of the monopolistic stuff. Right. Um, so Which I, is I, yet I, another piece of evidence that Elon Musk is a democratic Soros plant because he's really doing their work he for them. He's a great job. He's really doing He a looked at what Mark yeah. Zuckerberg did and he was like, come on, <laughs> so I'll let, show you how to be a fucking villain. Let me take the least <laughs> consequential social platform and then turn it into a giant banner that says, please regulate us. Yeah, that's, yeah, he, he did it. Super sync on Discord. So, excuse me, that's super skink. Oh, uh, or supers kink. Super or super s <laughs> kink. Super s kink. That's right. Whole, very formal. I yeah. love these names. Uh, <laughs> on Discord, friend of the pod, thanks for the subscription, <laughs> asks, uh, has there been research on when slash how to actually introduce screens, social media, iPads, et cetera, to children? If so, what does it find? All right, here's what I got. World Health Organization and the American Academy of Pediatrics say no screen time for kids under two. Less than an hour a day for kids two to five. Hmm. I read that. I laughed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what kind of numbers we're, are we running? We, we're running at home. We also asked our pediatrician this. Uh, I think like the first, Charlie's like year appointment. He's hmm. three now. And um, and she sort of 
gave us these numbers right. and then sort of was like, oh, yeah, I'm supposed yeah, to say yeah. that, you know. The reality is, as of 2014, now that's 10, almost 10 years ago, kids under two in the U.S. average three hours wow. a day. And kids oh three God. to five averaged two and a half hours. Really? Yeah. Wow. And that's 10 years ago. Yeah. That is wild. So I will say Charlie... Yeah, what's he say, putting up? When he, <laughs> what numbers are he... <laughs> He, when he wakes up, will he'll want to sit on my lap and watch a few YouTube videos. What does he like to watch? Uh, this is whatever the algorithm gives him. No. Uh, <laughs> I try to type in... Joe Rogan, So mostly. Cars is his favorite movie. And okay. he likes like okay. offshoots of things that happened in Cars. Okay. So I try to do Cars Educational in the, in the, <laughs> in the search <laughs> bar. And then I just do like educational three-year-old. Like I, I, this is what I do. And then he, they pop up and he watches them. Mm-hmm. But I try to limit that to like 20 minutes. Seems and then maybe he'll watch like an episode of something. All the episodes, by the way, of kids shows now are like 20 minutes anyway. Yeah. 15, 20 minutes. He'll are do you like, guys a Bluey household? Bluey, Daniel Tiger. Yeah. But like, you know, the older he gets, the more he's in like traditional cartoon, whatever, dino trucks. Yeah. It's like, what is that? Yeah. Blippy. Ooh, Blippy. I've never uh, even heard of Blippy. Uh, don't you? Lucky you. <laughs> lucky you. Uh, so he does that maybe in the morning for an episode, and then really it's not until night, like when he's like waiting after his bath and he's waiting to have dinner. Maybe he'll mm. watch an episode. Okay. So it's pretty. And there are times when, to be perfectly honest, I wish he would want to watch TV, but instead he wants to run around outside, play, yuck, do all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and of course I do it. Of course I do it. Um, there are some studies on this that like children who have more screen time are more likely to have developmental and behavioral issues. Hmm. It is hard to determine because it's uh, causation correlation of stuff course, here. Right. Um, right. But it, they they have done studies that suggest children learn better from a person who's teaching them face to face than from a person on the screen, even if it's the exact same person doing the exact same thing. Well, I mean, I know what that experiment is referring to. It's, it's distance learning, right? Yeah. It's that. And it's also just, I think people leaned on educational programming as a crutch for a while. Yeah. And there's still, I think it's better than other programming studies have found, but it's still not, it's not a, it's not a real substitute. Yeah. Though there are some benefits and not all of them are educational. There was a study Texas Tech did of Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. Hmm. Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood, basically, it's PBS show. It's just Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood now is a cartoon. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I did and hear Daniel about Tiger this. plays right. like Mr. Right. Rogers. Kids who watch that show uh, showed greater emotion recognition, empathy, and self-efficacy huh. if those children came from homes where parents consistently talk to their kids about TV viewing. And that is like the final point piece of advice that you get from everyone, which is present. watch the if your kid's going to watch TV, watch it with them. And I found that super helpful because yeah. when I'm watching something with him, now he'll say, oh, did you see that, Daddy? And then I'll say something like, well, what did you think of that? And then we'll talk about that after the right. show's over. Right. And like that is So he's not just helpful. songed out. Yeah. yeah, that is helpful. And it's also much more helpful than what I had assumed the advice was going to be, which is just like, don't. I'm going to wave my finger at you being a bad parent. And honestly, it's just like not feasible. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. Because like it, there's a lot of hours in the day. And uh, when you have a kid, it seems like uh, it, they tri- double or triple. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like there's the many times in, on a Saturday, I'm like, <laughs> oh, it must be noon and it's 8 30 a.m well at that point you've been up for six hours right yeah well so is he yeah uh so you know i would have that's so fascinating i would have before the pandemic assumed that like it's not really about screen time it's mostly about the content Mm. and it does sound like something that we have learned is that it really does make a difference whether 
you as, you know, a little kid are engaging just with a screen or you're engaging with a person or you're engaging with a screen alongside a person, which makes sense because, you know, so much of how our brain forms and works is around social interaction. So you would need to have that. Yeah. And it was like the other night as like a treat, he was watching some holiday Disney movie Hmm. and it was like a 20 minute thing. And Emily was like, okay, well, you can watch that. And but then we're not going to read books tonight and then it's it's bedtime because it's pretty late. Mm-hmm. And it's funny just having watched that and then going to bed without the books, he, it was so much harder to put him to bed because oh, he yeah. was like still amped up and he had watched something and he wanted to talk and he wanted to do yeah. this. And the reading actually helps a lot more than the one time that we did. <laughs> I just, I've, I'm shaking my head because that is a piece of advice that would apply so well to my own life. I am absolutely terrible. Right. I'm terrible about like, well, it's time to go to bed. Let, let me browse Instagram for 20 minutes or let me <laughs> yeah. like watch the rest of this movie. And then when I actually, Charlie is so much better at this than I am. When I actually take the time to be like, let's read this New Yorker for 20 minutes. Yeah. I sleep so much better. I feel so much better. And I'm not running around the house amped up and another thing that charlie always wants to do is read the new yorker um (laughs) the features are too long he's always saying right he's saying five thousand words maximum yeah before we go to break the second ever episode of our new subscriber series inside 2024 drops next wednesday the 20th this time dan and Alyssa dive into the unique nature of two former presidents running against each other and the challenges of running an incumbent's campaign. To listen to this episode, make sure you're a part of Crooked's Friends of the Pod community. You can head to crooked.com slash friends to sign up. 2024 is a huge, super high-stakes election year, and there's so much to keep track of. Important voting deadlines, volunteer shifts, emergency therapy, and apparently you still have to go work out and stuff. That's why Crooked and Vote Save America created a 2024 planner to help you stay sane and organized next year. It's filled with important dates, much-needed motivation, and fun stuff to keep you from losing your mind. To get your planner, head to crooked.com slash store now. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. John Hall on Twitter asks, what are your current views of the current Twitter <laughs> alternatives? What are, should we pull up our Mastodon profiles? How much skeeting are you doing lately? More tootin' than skeeting. <laughs> More, really? Okay. I don't know which is which well, Yeah, now what's your, <laughs> your toot to skeet ratio? How's that looking? 
zero on either. I don't even know which one refers to which. That's what, no, I don't either. Um, At this point, I'm staying off of it because, look, if you're listening to this and you're one of the people who is pushing Blue Sky, I mean no disrespect, but it's very annoying. I don't need your extra code. That's right. I'm glad you have three (laughs) extra codes. I don't care. For the other place. (laughs) Wow, Elon Musk is going to moderate you for saying Blue Sky. It's (laughs) passing around that Samazdat. Look, if you're on Blue Sky or Mastodon, good for you. Good for you. Uh, But nothing's happening on those that matter. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You're not missing any relevant news, discourse. It's just not. It it seems like it's mostly discourse about Twitter. I think so. But again, I don't know. Because I haven't been on either of them, and I'm not missing anything. Where are you on the Twitter death watch these days? Okay. So, (laughs) well, let's talk about threads. Let's talk about threads. Because I have said about threads that I wanted a feed of only people that I follow, Mm -hmm. which now they have. Okay. And I said I wanted a a web-only version, which they finally launched. Yeah. So, got both of those, and I'm using it more. How often do you want it? I check it a couple times a day. Okay. But I don't, okay. I like post. It's in the routine. Like if the pod's up or we have a clip up or we're doing a mailbag, like I post up there. I don't like feel the need. I don't feel the need to post on Twitter either mm-hmm. anymore. Like I know yeah. I have lost the need to like, I got to say something. It's really stopped being an essential place for discussion or where conversations happen. And it really used to feel like that, like up until like 2019, maybe 2020, I feel like. If I'm not retweeting, I am replying to someone right. to like make a joke, make a point, or I'm quote tweeting something to make some stupid point. And for some reason, threads, because it's just not as busy yet, doesn't feel... Now, this is an addictive thing, right? Like, I want it to be more addictive, I guess. But it's like, it doesn't feel like the essential place where everything's happening yet. Right. And I hate that Twitter still feels... Yeah, still Twitter still, Twitter feels a lot less like that now, like a lot less, but it still feels like it's more so than threats. There were moments during Israel Gaza when it felt to me like it was an essential place to be. Twitter. Yeah. Yes. Like early on, like it's it's really there's like interesting voices. There's a lot happening. It's very quick moving. I felt like I wanted to be there. And now the like awfulness of everything on there since like more than cancels that out for sure. The negatives really outweigh the positives. But I agree that no platform has reproduced that like essential hive of activity and i don't know that they're going to i don't either like i really i kind of feel like i don't know what's going to happen to twitter as it exists now but i think that if twitter dies i think this format of of short form blogging goes with it which fine i do think (laughs) i think it's annoying to have multiple twitters right now like i find the fact that like some people are skeeting and tooting and then threading. Um, and I then tolerate some are, their, their, I support their skeets and their yeah, toots. me too. Uh, I find it confusing, annoying to go back and forth to post on multiple platforms, right? To post on threads and Twitter. And I don't know. Twitter does feel like it's dying a slow death. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. There's just less engagement. There's less. It's it's certainly not fun anymore. There's not a lot of humor on it. It has. It does feel like every day it becomes. I really thought before Elon Musk bought it, it was already so mean and so like yeah. negative and mean spirited, and it really feels like it's gotten so much worse. Which I think a lot of that is the algorithm. Like I really find if I switch back from the for you tab that's all algorithm to just my regular feed of people I follow, it's like oh, this is still a crappy experience, but it's way less severe than the algorithmic one. And because there's fewer people on it and the people who are left are the diehards, 
like me. Um, <laughs> what I am noticing too is that there, like there's arguments that just go on forever. Forever. Like forever. I, for for two days now, everyone's been yelling about the vibes versus the right. which I know. we covered on the <laughs> show know. a while back. Yeah. But like they're all like yelling about Nate Silver and he's in and everyone's going back and forth. I don't even know what the fuck it's about. I couldn't tell you what it's about because I'm like, is are we moving on yet? Are, we're all still talking about this. Well, I think it's really come to feel like if you lose a fight on Twitter, if you get dunked on too hard, like that'll be it for you. And (laughs) seriously, like you'll, it's like, that's the feelings you have to keep fighting because it's like, if you get owned too hard, it'd be like, oh, that's that idiot from Twitter (laughs) who destroyed his reputation by posting the wrong thing about economic sentiment. That's it. Haven't heard heard from that idiot since. All right. Michael from Toronto has a long one, but a good one. He says, I am a Jewish Canadian living in Toronto. My family history includes Holocaust victims and survivors, victims and survivors of the Russian pogroms, as well as persecution in Argentina. I am a leftist and a progressive, but I have had a hard time with my social media consumption since October 7th. Being online has been a fire hose of information, and as a result, I've decided to try and be less online, specifically Twitter. Being offline has resulted in tremendous guilt as I feel like I'm abandoning part of my identity by essentially turning off my consumption and knowledge of the suffering of the Palestinian people and diaspora. On the other hand, for every good faith and on-the-level criticism of the Israeli government, there is an absolute barrage of blatant anti-Semitism that makes me feel incredibly unsafe and had begun to impact my day-to-day ability to function. I'm working from home now, I'm not walking my dog as often, and I even took off jewelry that identified me as a Jew. I might be accused of overreacting or exploitation of victimhood, but I genuinely feel in danger in my day-to-day. I feel, rightly or wrongly, incredibly abandoned by the left, and I'm wondering how can I articulate that feeling in a productive way that may create a space to have this discussion without being accused of dual loyalty or being a conservative? So I think a lot of people, especially people who are very online, feel this way. And like the first thing I would say is that like, Michael, I don't think that you're in danger. Like I understand how it can feel that way if you're online. It feels like you're swirled by these reports of anti-Semitic incidents. It feels like you're swirled by actual anti-Semitism on the platform Like that is not representative. Like if you are a Jewish guy living in Canada, you're really pretty safe, although I do understand the feeling. And also this like sense of obligation that like because something bad is happening, I need to be glued to the news is something I've heard from a lot of people. And I like really would tell you, you don't. You're not, you're just punishing yourself. You're, you, there are good things that you can do and it's a great impulse to have, but reading a lot of news that makes you upset, even though there's a lot on the internet that kind of implicitly tells you that's your responsibility, it's not. And like, take some time out for yourself. It's fine. You're just one person. The part of this that I kind of identified with or that resonated with me a little bit was his sense of feeling abandoned by the left. Um like there have been moments for me in the last couple of months when I have been like online and will see tweets from like people who I know, not just like random shit posts, like people I know, like referring to October 7th as the Al-Aqsa flood, which is like Hamas's name for it, or saying that like people need to understand that resistance comes in many forms and like who are we to say what's legitimate and not legitimate. And like to be clear, people on the right have been saying far, far worse things, legitimizing violence against Palestinians for years. But I kind of always expected better from the left. And there have been moments when I have felt like, you know, kind of alone Mm -hmm. in feeling like, well, I, you know, 
human rights are supposed to be universal and it's never justifiable to target civilians or innocent people or to kill people for political agendas, even if you don't like the government of the people on the other side. And international law is supposed to apply to everyone and rights apply to everyone, including the right to national self-determination. But I've tried to remind myself, and if you're feeling like Michael, I would urge you to remind yourself too, that the things that you were seeing online are not representative. And I've like really tried to reset and be like, okay, I did see some tweets from people I know like celebrating October 7th or justifying it or excusing it. And that was very upsetting to me. But remembering that like, I look at polls, it's really not how the majority of people on the left feel. The majority of people on the left are, of course, horrified by terrorism. And social media can really trick you like that because it promotes the most provocative thing and the most shocking and the most upsetting thing, but not to... Not to fall into the trap of thinking that whatever tweets the algorithm pushes in front of you are actually representative because they're not. I totally, that's such a good point. And I totally agree with not feeling guilty about not posting or engaging or following the discourse. Like posting about politics is not the same as participating in politics. Posting about someone else's reporting is not the same as posting your own reporting, which is what a lot of brave journalists and activists have been doing in Gaza and Israel. Um, So I I don't think people should feel guilty taking a break from social media. One thing that might help to think about is imagine that Gaza happened before social media and you kept up with the news by watching television or reading the newspaper and you still felt either unsafe as a Jew or outraged by the actions of the Israeli government or both. What would you do? You would, you might talk to people that you know, and trust. You might meet other people who feel the same way as you do, join a protest, call Congress, donate to an organization. What you probably wouldn't do is walk into a big crowd of strangers (laughs) who are all yelling about their views on the issue and spreading information about the conflict that you cannot immediately verify Mm -hmm. as true. But that is what's happening today. And it's not just with Gaza, it is with everything. And I'll just say one more thing on this because I know a lot of People who follow our shows on social media have a lot of opinions on this issue. Um, <laughs> on, on Israel-Palestine? Which is, which is, by the way, entirely understandable. And of, like, course, good, of course. Good to yeah. have opinions. Yeah. Like, I think what Hamas did on October 7th was horrific and barbaric. I think what the Israeli government has done in response is also of horrific course. and barbaric of at course. this point. Yeah. I think the Biden administration has so far failed to get Netanyahu yeah, to I change agree. course. And I think it's insane to give him more aid until yeah. or unless he does. Yeah. But I say all this because what led me to these conclusions has been good, factual reporting, thoughtful analysis, persuasive arguments from journalists, experts, activists, Ben and Tommy and you, people here, people like, like podcasts, experts in the region. And what hasn't persuaded me at all are social media posts and comments that say uh, I'm a genocide supporter or I'm anti-Semitic or someone is so mad about something that they are not going to listen or follow or whatever. It's like, okay, sure, that's your right. Sad to see you go. But like those kinds of comments, which are very common on social media, had zero effect on what I believe. And like if posting makes you feel better, doing that anyway, like awesome. But if you are trying to persuade someone to think differently and to change their mind about something, comments like that and posts like, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work on me. Maybe it works on some people. It does not work. Well, it's not intended to, right? It's 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 intended to rally people who agree with you and get that affirmation. And I think even people who 
And I, I have... I have done this. I have been distressed about the news mm. and mad about something. I have to and posted find all it. my old posts. I'm <laughs> sure I've done this. And the thing is, is that it never actually made me feel better. It would get like the big dopamine hit from getting retweeted by a lot of people, which is kind of shameful to admit. Yeah. But I would, whatever was the thing that made me mad in the first place, I would just feel madder because it was just, I I had put all of this energy just towards like ginning up my own feelings and other people's feelings. You're right. It is crazy that we have so many resources for information that we can get, for forums where we can discuss this, for people we can talk to. And the one that we're choosing to go to is this like mosh pit of misinformation and hate speech that like, that's the place I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> and, look, and, and some people have said too, like, well, there's some people on TikTok who are doing great. Journal- yes, of course, of yeah. course. There's people on every single medium and every social media platform sure. who can be trusted, who are doing fantastic work. But it is the cacophony of voices and comments and opinions all the time that I don't think is very useful. Mm-hmm. And I think screaming at people is not very useful yeah. <laughs> either. Yeah. It's just like think about when you've been persuaded and have changed your mind in the past. And to the extent that I get annoyed with it, it's not – I don't care pe- what people call me. I really don't. But I, I feel sad when I see people doing that to other people, to anyone, because I'm just like – ah, there's such important issues and we do have to change a lot of minds and we do have to make change and we do have to organize. And, be, and like, I just, I I, I hope, I, my hope is that people learn a more effective way to do it. Yeah. You well, know? and I, I've said this before, but it, it makes me think a lot about 2014, which was the last big war between Israel and Hamas and Gaza, although it was much smaller than this one. Yeah. And social media was like just kind of starting to become a big dominant thing, but wasn't yet algorithmic in the way that it is now. Mm. And it was an experience that like really broadcast a lot of people a lot of information to a lot of people like you would log on and you would see photos and videos that regular people on the ground had taken in Gaza whereas now you just see people screaming at each other because they didn't use the right set of magic words to that's describe so it. That's so different. It is so that different. That is so different. It's really different. Like yeah. because people are like well the images out of out of Gaza are horrible. Yeah, those images are persuasive. Right. The the comments aren't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's true. Yeah, and it makes me sad because it makes the thinking about twenty fourteen, which I think did have a huge impact on American public opinion towards this conflict, like social media can exist in a way mm. that is enlightening for people yes. and that it kind of exists as part of a larger information diet, a larger news diet in a way that really is enriching. And it's like, you know, people who have their phones and are doing TikToks on the ground in Gaza, like, yes, that exists. It really feels to me like it's getting crowded out mm. by all of the noise. Yeah. Um, so social media bad, I feel like, is what we're coming yeah, around to. Yeah, just a new take from us. Um, <laughs> another one from uh, Christian. Do you think there's a millennial bias to this show? How do you try and incorporate other generations' perspectives into the conversation? Fuck yeah, there is. Well, I don't know what Christian is talking about because uh, I'm a Zoomer and you're Gen X. So, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're we're, not a Zoomer, we're, are No, you? We're, like oh. two, we're like two years apart. I know I'm apart. not Gen yeah. X. Yeah, we're, it's hosted by two millennials. And uh, much like Joe Biden, we can't do anything about our age. So so there's definitely a bias. Uh, I would say two things. We try to incorporate Gen Z perspectives uh, by having a staff here at Crooked Media that's mostly Gen Z. I don't talk to them. Though. You do, but I, don't, <laughs> I try, not, I try to. not to speak to them. Um, we try to incorporate Gen X's perspectives by talking to Dan. <laughs> See if Dan is listening to this. Uh, and we incorporate Boomer's perspective by talking to our parents. Uh, no, but I, we've had guests uh, and experts who span all generations and would definitely like more more like that mm-hmm. and do more like that in 2024. I also do think, though, that 
for this specific show about living in an extremely online world, it is especially valuable to have a millennial bias or perspective at least yeah. because we are the generation that grew up using the internet and then social media, but also remembers life before it. So we really do straddle sort of the old and the new. That's not, that's the case I'm making. I for love us. you flattering the millennial ego. <laughs> I, it's a good no. It is it is a good point. I mean, I uh, this might be just like my talk about bias, my bias from like years of working in the news media. Like I kind of feel like they're. I'm still an adherent of the old way of thinking about bias and perspective, which is like, yes, of course, as a millennial white guy, coastal white collar professional, I have a set of biases yeah. that I bring to anything that I talk and think about. Largely immutable. That's right. <laughs> All of them correct. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, please don't yell at me, even though I would deserve it. Um, but I, I kind of think that the kind of new way of thinking about this is, okay, well, that means that you should bring in other people who have different biases and you'll just have a lot of different biases pile on top of each other. And I do see that. And of course, you should talk to lots of people who are different from yourself. But I kind of think that the first responsibility is to just be aware of your own biases and your own perspective and try to like rise above it. Interrogate or, them. Right. Interrogate it and just try to bring people the best information you can and not not to try to take for granted that, well, I have a perspective, so I should just lean into being biased or lean into having that perspective. I should, like, of course, no one is ever going to be perfect at it, but I still think everyone's responsibility if your job is to bring people information is to try to, you know, kind of separate yourself from your bias and perspective as much as you can. Yeah. And that comes in, you know, even when we're not on mic, like talking to a lot of people from different perspectives, reading a lot, people from different perspectives and trying to incorporate that into our work. Hopefully, yeah. No, look, look, I'm very cognizant uh, just about every day that we uh, <laughs> don't know how Gen Z interacts with the Internet. <laughs> very aware, very aware and would like to learn more about it and hear from more people about it that who actually are from that generation. I do appreciate that. I know I can sometimes when we talk about TikTok, especially can be kind of down on Gen Z media habits. You're always very quick and it's good that you do this to kind of remind me that there are a lot of improvements too. There's a lot of, you know, people who are doing good things on TikTok and that not to be just all negative about TikTok, yeah. even though I think it is bad. Well, and I just, people should know, I also think Twitter's bad and Facebook is That's bad. That's right. Yeah, the millennial they're platforms all bad. are, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and they're just bad in different ways. And I do think with TikTok, like, you know, it's, like I said, everything sped up, everything amplified. Mm -hmm. And that algorithm is just shooting videos at you. Right. And you know, you choose who to follow on, on TikTok, but you don't use it the same as your your Twitter feed or your face. Like, it's just, right. it's a lot coming at you all the time. Yeah, yeah. I know mean, we all have a preferred platform for our generation, but it is good to, I think people can sometimes get, and this goes for, you know, Twitter millennials and, and Facebook boomers too. We can all sometimes, I think, get a little defensive about hearing people from other generations criticize yes. our preferred platforms. But like you said, they're all bad. Yeah, I don't prefer any. Uh, <laughs> here's a pair of questions from uh, Garbanzo and Rachel, both on Discord. What's a social media trend that you'd like to see fall by the wayside in 2024? And is there a social media trend you'd be interested in trying out in 2024? I think in 2024, I might try out medical misinformation. <laughs> I think that could be fun. <laughs> Just going to follow Alex Berenson the whole time. Listen, it <laughs> appears to be incredibly lucrative. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like that. I'd like to get a new car. Maybe. I'm going to uh, start doing TikTok dances. Okay. Yeah. Okay. That's gonna be my I feel like that's an just, old trend at just this point. Just saying actually. it like that. Just saying the, word, the way <laughs> I, I said I it. It's, it's an old trend. Yeah. No, you know. I take back everything I said about millennial biases. They're real and they're terrible. <laughs> I want, and this is, and, and uh, Austin first uh, made me aware of this, our producer. I want to start using social media like TikTok as a search engine. Oh my God! No, don't I do it. I think well, Emma and Austin I are both nodding, both nodding right now. This is because I, I think it's you could get more personalized recommendations from people. So I tried it as oh. an experiment, which I went into fully biased, assuming that it was going that I was going to hate it. And would you know it? I was confirmed in my suspicions. Maybe but it I'll is, hate it. It is like okay. I I understand that the case. I should voice the case for it before I crap all over it. The case for it being that when you search something on TikTok. The results are more authentic because they're recorded by just regular people, which I, this is another like Zoomers sound like Gen X. What's the obsession with authenticity, guys? Everything is fake. <laughs> just accept it. Um, and that you like, you'll see a video, like if you're looking for restaurants, you'll see like a video of the restaurant. You hear someone talking about what they ate. You'll see their food. Whereas if you search on Google or if you go to like Eater, the infatuation, you're just getting what some critic tells you to want. But like... I don't know. I and trust also a lot I, more. It's just like every day I feel like there's more sponsored links on Google that you have to wade through before true. you get to yeah. the real shit. The Google experience is getting worse. Yeah. It is. But I, I still, I'm still an old school millennial who, who trusts established expertise. I want to hear what the <laughs> restaurant reviewer says. That's right. It's my most, Man. it's my most reactionary contrarian opinion. So old. <laughs> Any social media trend that you'd like to see fall by the wayside? Mine would be social media. <laughs> My social media trend that I'd like to see fall by the wayside is everyone is a politician who must release a statement on everything. Yeah, I, am, I, I know. Am, I know. All, the, all the people posting their, their all statements. All the people posting, here's Gaza. my statement. Yeah. Like, at least Gaza's like a, that's a big deal in it's the true. world. It's now, true. if you're not yeah. an expert, no one's asking you to do anything on it. <laughs> Don't have to. But like every corporation feels like they need to do a statement. Every brand does a statement. People are doing, you go on social media, people are doing statements when someone dies that's famous. And they're like, yeah. I'll always remember this thing about the, it's like, okay. Yeah, if you know the sure, person or, nice. or yeah. that was a real, they were a real hero of yours. Yeah, but mm -hmm. there is this like, need to treat everyone like they have their own little press office and that they are releasing yeah. a statement on literally everything that happens. And so Celebrities, people... athlete, everyone. It's like everyone just, now it's just ordinary people feel like it. I really don't understand the impulse because like so many people get themselves into trouble that way. Hmm. Like so many actors who I think, I'm not putting it all on them because I think they were unjustly like punished for this but a lot of actors the message like, of this episode is poor actors <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i think there is yeah you know this is like this is a separate thing but it does seem like there is a lot of like actors getting canned by their agents and managers lately for saying things that are not even that extreme or not even that wild on israel gaza but are just kind of like two ticks to the left of the center left position and it's like that's a, that's a separate discussion. Yeah, no, but... It's... But but there is also a thing of, like, I think a lot of actors were like, I had to put out my statement on the Al-Shifa hospital bombing. And then, like, the reporting on it changed. And it's like, well, of course you got the bombing wrong. You don't know anything about this. You're not a munitions expert. <laughs> like, what, what are you doing? And there's a, it's also the immediacy, right? Mm -hmm. Like... Can I take the time to find out what happened in this event before I decide to post yeah. something and maybe like learn something about it? No, no, no. If you have not posted immediately, 
you could be swept up in the why haven't you posted? I see silence is complicity. That's right. But also pass the mic. I I am (laughs) noting my yoga teacher's silence on. (laughs) Um, Right. And then you have to weigh in on everyone else's statement. Right. And who who had the statement that you're most most shocked at or you're angry at? Who did the bad statement? Right. Who did the good statement? No, No, actually, no one. No one gets congratulated on their good statement. It's only no, the bad no, statement. It's just about you either pass just, by right. unscathed or you did a bad. It's just about grandstanding on that. Anyway, that's my trend. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Guys, it's been a rough year. It's going to get rougher, and you deserve a little treat for not going insane yet. You could head to the local tiki bar and tell the bartender, do your worst. But we have a better idea for you, which is pick out something from the Crooked store. The store is stocked with tons of new merch. It's perfect for the spring. And classics like the Friend of the Pod tees that you'll be wearing long after the next administration or the next fascist dictatorship, depending on how things go. Pick up a new tee for the warm weather ahead, a mug that'll remind you to stay involved this election year, or a hat celebrating your favorite pod. Go to crooked.com slash store to shop. Marilyn and Marianne both ask a question we get all the time. A lot of questions from people about this. Can we get screen time updates? Have you both reverted back to your previous habits? Yes, yes I have. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of numbers are we talking about? We're working with, uh, the numbers we're working with now are three hours and 50 minutes a day. That's, which so, is, that's so much better. It's better. It's that's a, a lot a better. a huge improvement. It's a lot better. You were at like six and seven, I right? was, I yeah. was. But it's still, it's not great, but it's still, it's better. Where do you want to be? I'd like to be in the twos. Twos are nice. I think the, t- the twos are good. <laughs> the twos I, when we were no, so when we were doing yeah. the challenge, when I dropped into the twos, I was like, "This feels good. This feels yeah, manageable. Twos. I don't feel like it's bending my brain. I feel like I'm getting time away from it, but I also am not so away from it that I'm like feeling like I'm going to backslide. Like you know, I dieted too hard, and now I'm going to totally relapse. Where, where, what are you? What are we working with with you? What so we- I, this week, I'm at about an hour twenty. But last week, because I was traveling, it popped up to like three, three and a half. I always, when I travel, I just spend more time. I don't know if I just Same. give myself permission to be like, fuck it, it I doesn't do matter. Or if it's just like, you're tired because you're out all day. So you're just like sitting on the deck chair, scrolling Twitter for an extra hour. But then before that, I was at like two and a half to three. Mm. So we're pretty close. I'm finding that because I'm very, this is what Offline Challenge has really helped is I'm like very intentional now, mm-hmm. not just about when I use it, but when I'm using it a lot, when yeah. I'm on the phone a lot, right. why? Like, right. what am I doing? And it's always when I'm really busy, which is... Oh, interesting. So, like, last couple months, work has been crazy. Right. We were traveling, a lot of live shows. And then when I've been home, like, I'm either always working or parenting. Yeah. So, checking the phone has become, like, a bit of a crutch. Like, a like a oh, I have 10 seconds of me time. Right. So, now I'm going to... That's the to, thing that's ready. Yeah, like, if I'm going to walk upstairs to do something and it's just me, finally, I can, like, look at my phone. It's like um, a pacifier. And it is. It's like yeah. a pacifier. And oddly yeah. enough, 
when I'm not as busy or even bored, if I know I have like an hour or two hours as a break just to me, I don't look at the phone. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I when we were doing the challenge, I remembered that the like the weeks I was feeling best were the weeks it was easiest to put it down, and the weeks where I was like maybe a little down in the dumps it was when I'd be spending so much more time with my phone. But yeah. I do feel that even weeks now when my numbers are back up, I am so much more conscious about it, so much more intentional about it, and I don't have the same like doom scrolling, making myself upset experience. It's much easier for me to kind of off ramp off of it. So I would continue to really recommend to people like do a few weeks of a serious diet, even if you think it's just going to be a few weeks. And like you will learn a lot about yourself in that process, I think. And there's like something rewired in my brain now where I do think, yeah, oh, this is bad. Right. If I'm like, if I'm, if I'm scrolling, I'm like, this is bad. I might still do it, but like that helps to. Mm -hmm. Just kind of take it down a notch. Yeah. Omid Ferozi asks on Instagram, do you find that phone addiction causes you to think more in a calendar brain where you're constantly thinking of the next event and obligation? God, I've thought I, about this before. I wish. <laughs> I, I find that it does the opposite to me where it's like, do you remember when, okay, now we're really going to go millennial mode. Yeah. I'm really undermining everything I said about not being biased. It's, I'm really fucking that up. Um, do you remember when you first got a cell phone and you would program numbers into it and everyone had the experience of you put the number into the phone for the first time and it blinks out of your brain permanently? Yeah. I feel like that's what happens with digital calendaring, which is obviously not new technology at this point. Oh. I'm constantly getting myself into trouble where people will be like, hey, do you want to get dinner next Thursday? And I'll say, sure, because in my mind, I don't have anything that next Thursday because I do have something, but I put it on the calendar and then immediately forgot about it. So uh. I wish <laughs> I had calendar brain where I was remembering everything that I had coming up. I check the calendar a lot like I check Twitter. It's just another checking excuse. I you think love though, to check. I think I had, yes, I have uh, OCD checking behaviors. Uh, see, this is, this is my problem. Uh, so so don't fight with me. Uh, but I think that this is like predated phones for me because I just think that's like the, I'm always thinking about the next thing, sure. the next event. Yeah. Like I don't think this is just a phone addiction thing. It's especially interesting right now though for me because after today, we're recording this, what day is it? The 14th, December 14th. I have no more obligations and no more events. You've, um, got, you've got one. Well, yes. Well, so Chris and Christmas is coming soon, mm -hmm. but I'm not even thinking about what we're doing for Christmas because we don't know because oh, the yeah. baby is due right. any minute, any day. And it is weird to look ahead two weeks, three weeks, four weeks now. Blank slate. And blank slate and have yeah. no idea what's happening. Very unsettling for me. <laughs> I, I w It felt like that to me when I came because of my tendency towards laziness, I had to like really rigorously map everything out. So I had this huge calendar with like this section of this chapter is due and this is due on this date, like something every day. And then after I finished it, I went back to work. And then like the job I was doing at that point is just like, will you sit at a desk and wait for an editor to call you and give you an assignment? So yeah. my calendar was just like wide open <laughs> and it was terrifying. But you know what? It was also fucking great. Yeah. It's, it's nice not to have a ton of stuff on the horizon. Although I don't know if you're feeling that since you have yeah, something's the, one yeah, the one big thing. Yeah, the one big thing is going to probably keep me busy <laughs> just in a different way. Becky on Discord has a few good ones about the show. Is there any subject you guys covered this year that shocked you? Did you do any follow-ups to any of them? And what are some topics you really want to cover? I love that. Did you do any follow-ups to any of them? It's like, wow, my old editor at the time is really coming through here. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was like, Where's the, the follow? Becky, the answer to that is no. Because <laughs> uh, we moved on to the next topic. But Austin probably did. Austin, Austin and Emma yeah, probably Austin did some follow-up. Yeah. Um, 
I so I have two answers for the shocked. One is that like we talked a lot about AI in the uh, Writers Guild contract negotiations with the studios, and it's kind of wild to me. I mean, it makes perfect sense. I see where they drove for it. I see where they did it. But it's kind of wild to me that they have this contract that has all of these provisions about artificial intelligence. Like the future got here really quickly. Really quickly. And it's just like wild that that's just, and it, a lot of it is looking forward and it's speculative, but it's wild that we're like already we're in that world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the other one was from the offline challenge was you talking about how different it felt to be sitting at home with your thoughts when we had the flip phone. We switched from the iPhone to the flip phone. And like I had a similar experience. Everyone I ever know who switched from iPhone to flip phone had the same experience where at some point you reach some moment in your life and you realize like, I've forgotten how to navigate this basic thing without my smartphone. That just like, people bring it up to me all the time. Yeah, we we, uh, on our Pod Save America mailbag, we talked about resolutions and my resolution for next year is a 20 or 30 minute walk every day oh, with great. no phone. Wow. Just no phone. Okay. And what Start. if there's a, a childcare? Because that was the big Yeah, I, mean, I might do it. I might like be here at work oh, okay. and then maybe okay. like walk to that Starbucks or walk somewhere, right. walk around the office. Yeah. Even if it's like even 15 minutes. Let's well, maybe I'll start small, but just like having that time where I can just think and don't have my phone. I, I try to do, I mean, it's, it's easy for me to say this. I don't have kids, so it's much easier for me to get the time out. Um, I try to do it pretty regularly, and I find that when I do it, my thoughts are so much clearer. Mm. I feel better. And when I don't do it, my thoughts are muddled, yep. even even if it's not something that I've thought about on the walk. But yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it it's, it's wild that we come back to such simple advice as like, what's the cure to the horrifying digital dystopia? We'll take a 20 minute walk every day. But like- <laughs> Do some breathing, I, take, I a kind walk, of, take a walk. Yeah. I kind of think it is. it is. I really kind of think it-, it um, My, uh, the, the subject that shocked me, also AI, but like the, the first few times we talked about AI on the show, mm. I thought all the hype and fear were overblown, mainly because I thought ChatGPT wasn't all that impressive. We came in when the discourse was really overheated. Yep. And then when I interviewed Simon Rich, who's a TV writer whose friend had worked at OpenAI and got his hands on a large language model um, that they ended up writing a book about, well, the large language model ended up writing the book <laughs> right. um, called I Am Code. And that scared the shit out of me because I, I do think I was like, oh, now I get what the worry around AI is without diving in even deeper. But I was like, OK, this is this this is going to be a thing. He was very effective at that. Did you have a favorite interview from this year? Oh, good question. Good question. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> you love, no. love all your children no. equally. Do you guys have a favorite Austin Emma? Mine was Bob Walding. Bob Walding are also my favorite. OK. OK. Uh, Lessons from an 84-year study on happiness, the longest study on happiness ever. He's at Harvard. The book is amazing. Makes you feel better about everything and also like just puts into perspective what's important. He's just a a lovely man. That was one of my favorites too. It is amid all of our our, our negativity about social media and technology and internet it is nice to remember that there are so many ways in which we as a species are just getting like better year on year out at just like leading happy, productive lives. Yeah, it's good. Uh, topics you want to cover in 2024? TBD. There's, it's going to be a surprise. We've got some good stuff nice. coming up in 2024. Ooh. You brought this up earlier in this episode, but um, 
election in 2024. I don't know if anyone knows that. Uh, I don't think that's right. That doesn't sound right. (laughs) (laughs) Where voters are primarily getting their information from in the lead up to 2024, how those mediums and platforms are influencing their decision Mm -hmm. whether or not to vote and who to vote for Mm -hmm. if they do vote. I am obviously huge topic, but I do think like and this is, it's not just about misinformation because I think that's become like a catch-all course, for, right. it's been like misused and whatever. Right. But really like, I, I think that there has been a very rapid and fundamental shift in how voters are getting their information about politics and how they're making right. decisions about yeah. it, Even especially in younger generations and yeah. especially a lot of people who are just giving up altogether and not very connected to politics. And I think that's going to have big, big impact on the election itself. And so I would love to cover that a little bit more. I think that's so right. And I'm really, really seeing the difference or feeling the difference in our backgrounds that like the idea that you would announce a, a great topic for inquiry in advance so that other people could steal it before you oh, can I do don't it. Even it's like, I would that. never well, do that. I don't that. consider myself a journalist. I it, well, I have bad news for you then. <laughs> this is it. This, oh, this no, is all this it is. This is all yeah. it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's not that bad. Where's my Pulitzer? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's in the mail. It's coming. Okay, um, Becky has a question uh, for, as she puts it, Max Anista, what was your favorite film of 2023? It was very nice of you and Becky to conspire to let me talk about movies and what is absolutely not a movie podcast. Let's do it. Uh, well, I just saw uh, Yorgos Lanthimos' Poor Things, which is absolutely incredible. Oh, was that good? I was uh, wondering about that. Uh, really beautiful, really inventive, really fun. Okay. Totally unlike anything you've seen. If you like The Favorite, it's like that, but more so. Okay. Really funny performances. And I think my favorite- and Emma Stone in it, right? Oh, she's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would be so happy if Lily Gladstone wins the Oscar, but I kind of think Emma Stone is okay. the best actress of the year. But my favorite this year was uh, the new Miyazaki uh, Studio Ghibli movie, The Boy and the Heron, which is just oh, an absolutely- I have heard you talk about that before, but I do, I do not know much about that movie. Well, they, they have famously have almost not marketed at all. When they released it oh. in Japan, because Miyazaki is so huge, the only marketing was a single poster. They had no ads, no interviews, and wow. it's been a huge hit. And it opened up number one- in the U.S., which is kind of amazing. Wow. When when did it open in the U.S.? Uh, I think last week. Last I week. mean, it's been in L.A. for a little bit, which okay. is why I'm a little fuzzy in the dates. But if you like Miyazaki's movies at all... I haven't seen any of them. Really? Even no. with Charlie? I'm really surprised no. to hear that. No. Is he not a big movie guy? I guess not he's a yet. little young the for it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know a lot of people get into Miyazaki from like... Because he has some that are for kids and some that are for adults. They'll watch yeah, like yeah. My Neighbor Totoro with their kid and then be like, this guy's got some interesting ideas and an interesting visual style. And then we'll kind of go up to the adult ones but it's an incredible visually beautiful movie that has a lot to say about like living with war and living with loss and it's a lot about the defeat of japan and world war ii and the legacy of that and it's it's great i loved it um and your favorite and crit oh my favorite movie of the year uh barbie no (laughs) barbie's a great choice honestly it was up there i don't watch a lot of movies anymore yeah hadn't been in the theater for a while saw barbie in the theater i did really like that i went i've got to see oppenheimer that's like on my list it's pretty good. It's fun. Soon. It's, I'm just it's thinking of it because I yeah. thought of Barbie. What else did I see this year for movies? I honestly have not watched that many this year. I remember when there was like a rare time when you were going to have the house to yourself and you were yeah, like, no, that's all maybe over I'll now. see a movie. I know. Yeah, that's, now that's, I just don't. I don't know when I'll go to another movie theater. I again. hope there's good movies in 2034. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> Christian asked me, what has been an unexpected benefit of bringing Max in as a co-host for this series? What a nice question. It's such a nice question. Thank you, Christian. I knew we'd be getting a really smart reporter who is an expert on the subject area 
that we talk about on this podcast all the time. I didn't realize how much I would learn from you every week. Oh, thanks, man. And also how much fun I'd have hosting the show with you. It's really fun. This is just, yeah. a, it's a really, we have a good time here. Oh, that's, I, that means a lot. Thank you. And it has been so, so nice for you and Austin and Emma to like really invite me into this like wonderful little world you have with this show. I mean, you guys hear from uh, Max and I all the time and we talk about Austin and Emma, but uh, Austin Fisher and Emma Illich Frank are our two producers. Mm-hmm. And we have a small but mighty team here and offline, which is just the four of us. We have so much fun. Yeah. We have such great conversations, fantastic meetings, and these two are some of the best producers I've ever worked with. I think it really comes through in the show, too, that it yes. really has like this like tight-knit family feeling. Yeah, so we have a good time, and uh, and we're all looking forward to 2024. So everyone have a, uh, have a good holiday season. I don't know when you're listening to this, but whatever. And have a great 2024. Max will be filling in. For a little bit, we're gonna get up to some crazy hijinks. We're. <laughs> <laughs> I had actually, I, had, I will be honest, completely forgotten. And then earlier today, Austin was like, "So, what guests are you thinking about for January?" I was like, "Oh, that's right." For how long? We don't know. <laughs> Every once in a while, Emily's like, "So, how long are you gonna stay home?" You're so it's g- like, I don't think she wants me there too. You're long. gonna be back here. I'll be back. I, you're gonna the very first episode I record while you're out. You're gonna be <laughs> skulking around in the back of the studio, being like, "Do you guys need any help with questions?" Probably. Do we, do we need anything? Are That's we good? probably right. And you know it'll um, be great. But anyway, uh, I'm sure that the show is going to be in great hands, and I'm excited to come back at some point in late January and February, and uh, and we'll have a big year in 2024. So we'll see you there. See you there. Offline is a Crooked Media production. It's written and hosted by me, John Favreau, along with Max Fisher. It's produced by Austin Fisher. Emma Illick-Frank is our associate producer. Andrew Chadwick is our sound editor. Kyle Seglin, Charlotte Landis, and Vasilis Fotopoulos provide audio support to the show. Jordan Katz and Kenny Siegel take care of our music. Thanks to Michael Martinez, Ari Schwartz, Madeline Herringer, Reed Cherlin, and Andy Taft for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Delon Villanueva, who film and share our episodes as videos every week. 